the West Coast, the East Coast, and deep in the heart of Texas, it's the Geek at Arms podcast with Brian, Mike, and James. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the newest episode of the Geek at Arms podcast, a podcast camped squarely at the crossroads of geek culture and Christian faith. I'm James, and with me, as always, are my good friends, Mike and Brian. Brian, how are you doing today, my friend? Mike, I think Brian's having a stroke. I can't say it. Are you going back to to the problems that we had when we were talking about the Hidden Fortress? Because it sounds like that's what we're doing. Okay, I'm just making sure. But say that one. Okay, so Brian's got aphasia. Um, <laughs> how are you doing, James? I'm doing all right. I'm tired. I'm sore. But at this day, that's kind of my normal setting. That's kind of like baseline for me these days. But I'll get into more about why I am later. Uh, you doing all right, Mike? You know, this is the first time in a long time that I've actually been feeling really well. So that's that's been kind of a big deal for me. I've been sick for like a month. Oh, dude, I am sorry. That stinks. I'm better now that, well, mostly, I think. Well, gotcha. we'll find out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, glad to be connected with you guys. I'm glad it's just, I know it's not been that long, but the summer has been kind of dragging as it does when it starts getting super hot. And mm. I know that it's probably beautiful out in your neck of the woods, Mike. Uh, Brian, it's LA, so it's going to be beautiful. But oh, down here. Yes. But here in Texas, we're entering into not so much as the hot months, but as in the sweltering months, because Mm -hmm. it's hot, it's humid. And the act of walking from my door to my car just coats me in a gross layer of sweat. So good times. Yeah, we we just finished up a a four or five day heat wave where it was hold on to your horses. It was ninety four for four days in a row. Actually, I'm not going to make fun of you for that because that's really warm for your neck of the woods. Yeah, and when people don't have ACs, it actually is kind of bad. Ooh. I honestly don't know what the weather is like because I've been having this gout flare for a solid month. Oh, jeez. And so, you know, I've gone to the the mailbox, you know, in the lobby of my building, and that's as close to the outside as Mm -hmm. I get. Oh, I am so sorry. Hmm. I did get that down to San Diego for my birthday last week, though. Oh, um, very cool. That was How quite was that? Nice. It was good. Um, visited, visited my friend Yolanda and her boyfriend. Um, oh, yeah. The one you some, play Magic some, with, right? Uh, the one I had played Tales from the Loop with. We played yeah. Destiny, um, but she doesn't play Magic. Okay. How has she been? It's been a long time since I've been able to game with the group, but... Uh... I miss talking with them and her. How is she? Uh, she's doing really well. Uh, she actually left her job at PlayStation, which she was she was so excited to be working for PlayStation. Um, but she had a apparently a really crummy boss, and uh, she got an opportunity to work for the company that makes the software that she uses. Side effects they make Houdini, and so she took that job. And right now, her job is learn how to use the software. I mean, she watches tutorials, and that's what she's getting paid for. So she's getting paid to watch an Indian gentleman tell her how to do something. Uh, <laughs> apparently, they're mostly French for some huh. reason. Interesting. Yeah, and it drives her crazy because French people don't bother to pronounce anything correctly. And she's Spanish. She has an accent. So she knows that 
it's difficult to speak English when it's not your first language. But these guys just don't bother. <laughs> of you course know, not. They're French. I don't care how it's supposed to be pronounced. I don't care what the language is. I'm just going to say some random syllables, and you're just going to have to figure out that what I'm saying is environment when I'm saying what was really funny is one time I was at bike party and there was a guy who was temporarily in the US for like three months and he learned to speak English in Cairo like and that had been pretty much the only place he had ever spoken English and you know I I had said something he's like I could you repeat that a little more slowly I said I'm sorry it's probably my accent and he's like what do you mean I'm the one with the accent I'm like we all have an accent, and this is one you're not used to hearing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's always fun when you're speaking with somebody who learned a language from somebody else who's didn't have that as their first language. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! When I went to when I went to Romania, like okay, I've gotten some audio, like some some cassettes and books to kind of prep me before I went, mm-hmm. and they were they were from England. So they were England English speakers speaking Romanian as their second language. And then I go and am learning Romanian in Sigishwara, which is just kind of a it's a it's kind of like a niche accent. Like it's kind of like what they would in the big city kind of consider a hick accent. And so here I am with an American with a little bit of the, the British emulation with a lot of the Sikishwaran accent going into Bucharest and trying to use my Romanian skills at like a fast food restaurant. And they're like, just, 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 just say it in English. I'm like, oh, come on, but I worked really hard to just say it in English. <laughs> <laughs> I experienced a similar situation when Joy and I spent a couple of weeks in England. We had gotten a room at a bed and breakfast in Edinburgh. And the gentleman who owned the place was from Spain, but had learned English in Scotland. Oh, that'd be great. So hearing him with his native accent trying to speak English that had been taught to him by the Scots... I couldn't hardly understand a word he said over the phone. <laughs> and it wasn't until I actually met him face to face, looking him in the eye or actually looking at his lips, he would say something. There'd be a short delay as my mind would try to interpret what he said. And then I would give a response based on what I think he said. <laughs> that had to be a thing to hear, though. Yeah, I knew a woman who she was Russian and she had learned English from... I want to say someone whose first language was Dutch and she had just this bizarre accent. It was so weird. And I was like, I asked her, I was like, where exactly are you from? And she said, I'm from Russia. Okay. That's not any Russian accent I've ever heard. It's kind of Russian, but not really. She says, yeah, I learned English from a Dutch speaker. Oh, Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I could explain it. Wow. So, accents on Geek at Arms. (laughs) Geek out about anything, right? We'll get to the interesting accents later in the show. (laughs) I mean, you're not wrong. Uh, But for right now, I say let's jump into Geek Out, and uh, I'll go first this episode. (laughs) So, I found myself about a month or so ago looking for book recommendations. Both Joy and I were. Both of you had recommended the Innocent Mage series by Karen Miller. Did I? And we grabbed a copy of it because I know I did. We also happened to find a cheap copy of it at a half price bookstore close to us. 
So $3 copy, recommended by Brian, sold. We'll take it. And it does seem to be a book that is in every used bookstore. Yeah. By the condition of the cover, it had been in a couple used bookstores. <laughs> I kept on handling it gently for fear of tearing off the cover and then feeling guilty and buying someone a new copy. Um, <laughs> that joke's primarily for Brian. Joy read them first, uh, and I I enjoyed them as well. It was an interesting world that the author had made, interesting magic system. My only real gripe with it was the fact that I felt like both books, The Innocent Mage and its sequel, The Awakened Mage, which isn't really a sequel. They're just two parts of the same story. They really could have gone through another couple of rounds of edit. Mm. Did you notice what she did with the language, though? I was I was curious if you'd pick it up on your own, so I was I was like holding back on on mentioning it when I recommended it. Now I'm having to think back. Well, because what I noticed is when I first started reading, I'm like, man, this writing style is just it's not very good. And as it went on, it got better and better. And what I realized was. She was adapting her style to the character's internal state. As he got more educated, the prose became better. I did feel like when you first meet the, uh, the main character, Asher, he's a country bumpkin. Mm-hmm. That's what he is. I know that we're getting the most of the viewpoint from like inside his head. And a lot of what she wrote felt very colloquial. Mm-hmm. And then as he longer he stayed in the city and became more educated, he became more modern and refined, just like himself. Yeah. When you notice it, it's you, subtle. You it's like, very subtle. Yeah. Uh, I think I was maybe a third of the way through the second book before I realized that that's what she'd done. And then I had to go back and sample s- several chapters. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's brilliant. And then it makes me feel embarrassed about uh, criticizing Philip K. Dick for doing the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but they were enjoyable. Uh, I tried reading the second series that takes place many years after, you know, the focus is on uh, the main hero, Asher, and his wife and their son. Um, I've been able to get into it as much as the first ones. And, I haven't tried the, any of our other stuff. I just read those two. And plus, I, I picked up a copy of the second uh, Witcher book, uh, Sword of Destiny. So I might switch over to that. Okay, so I'm going to wave a banner of ignorance here. Like, The Witcher started off as a video game, right? And then it became a TV show and in, in novels? Uh, no, it started off as a novel. Oh, well. Or a series of novels. And then I think it was CD Projekt, Rec, I forget exactly who. Uh, they bought the rights to make it into a game back on, like, the Xbox 360. And it, once it became a game, the popularity just shot up through the stratosphere. Okay, because I was wondering exactly how you were going to be able to make so much media out of a game. Because usually game <laughs> to game to fill-in-the-blank adaptations, at best, yeah. go so-so. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I think, I've, I've heard that Castlevania is good. I've watched the first season. So, I mean, maybe that's maybe an exception. I mean, we've got like three main platform games. We've got, I, I think, one or two iOS games. Uh, the TV show coming out, that's that's just about to air its second season, hopefully soon. There's been talks about another game in the works. We'll see, but you can't deny its popularity. But it does make a lot more sense that it was a book first. Yes. But continuing with my geek out, speaking of video games, in a move which will surprise absolutely no one on this podcast, I picked up a copy of Mass Effect Legacy Edition. 
Are you into that? <laughs> oh, for any proof of that, just go back and listen to any of the past 40 some odd episodes. <laughs> I had, and I just thought that was like, okay, yeah, this is going to be Mass Effect. It's Mass Effect. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I hadn't thought about Mass Effect in quite a while. And then I saw the trailer for the Legacy Edition and how they've upgraded the graphics. Everything is 4K now. Uh, they improved the score and so much more. And I'm like, ah, I thought I was out. And I'm being pulled right <laughs> back, back in. Yeah. Yep. I thought about waiting until it went on sale, but I thought, I'm not playing anything else right now. Nah, let's just get it. So I was going through some boxes in the garage to make a, a long story even longer. So, <laughs> and I, I came across my old PS2. And oh, there were a lot of good games on that system. There were. I came across my PS2, all my PlayStation games, and we were still in the process of trying to clear out all of the stuff that was in our garage from when the house got flooded. So I found all of that stuff. I found all my old Xbox 360 games, a couple of old Xbox games, and I thought, you know, I've been holding on to these for forever. They've been sitting in a box out here. I'm done. So I went to the used video game store, found it electronics that I talked about a couple of times. Took it all to them and said, all right, here's all this. Will you take any of it? And they did pretty much how, all of it. How much for the box and the little girl? <laughs> I said, hmm, let's talk about that Xbox Series X over there on the counter. <laughs> and the that'll PS5. Get you, that'll get you, you halfway there. that this is a false story because nobody has one of those in stock. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> But I was able to get enough that I was able to get myself a copy of uh, Mass Effect Legacy Edition, and I was able to pick up a copy of Luigi's Mansion 3 for the Switch for Joy. Oh, how is that? She's loving it. It's wonderful to watch her play. It's very entertaining. The kids love watching her play as well, so she's enjoying it, and it's fun for the family to watch as well. So it's a win. I mean, the concept behind that is mostly Mario Ghostbusters, right? Pretty much, except I've been seeing Mario once. Like, you know what? We should give Luigi his own game. What should we do? Uh, <laughs> going to save his brother in the Mushroom Kingdom? Uh, something else original? So hear me out. We take Luigi, and we drop him into Ghostbusters. And we put it in the wacky mansion from Disneyland. <laughs> On paper, it sounds like I hate that, but... <laughs> they make it work! So... Anyway, back to Mass Effect Legacy Edition. Uh, I've already gone through Mass Effect 1, and it's beautiful. It was already a good-looking game, but they've made it look so much better. And what I've appreciated is that they've also updated the score. It, it sounds beautiful. Like the, the few times I've played when no one's at home, I'll feed it through the soundbar, and wow, all the updates have been worth it. Plus, it's been so long that I do feel like it's a new gaming experience. Uh, they updated uh, like the menu interface and, and more, so it's not a different experience every single game. They've made improvements across the board, and if you are a Mass Effect fan, consider trying it out. I mean, it's on PlayStation, it's on Xbox, I think it's for PC as well. So, I mean, for only 60 bucks, you get all three games, you get every DLC they released, and there's only like a few dozen of those. So, yeah, you're going to get a great experience. And I'll uh, probably be talking about it in the next Geek Out as well. And uh, moving on from that, uh, I finally got around to finishing watching the current seasons of an animated series called Ruby. It was put out by Rooster Teeth Studios, the guys who do uh, the Halo comical series Red vs. Blue. 
they created their own in-house uh, fantasy anime style CGI cartoon and kind of taking elements from different fairy tales and like Brothers Grimm folklore from history and, and weaving this unique tale of monsters and hunters and it's been a lot of fun. There's like eight seasons of it out right now. You can watch most of them on Amazon Prime or Crunchyroll. And uh, what I've really enjoyed is watching the animation get better every single season. It starts out pretty basic. Not bad, but by the time you get to season eight, it's very fluid and beautiful. Hmm. I tried that one and I got I got a few minutes into the first episode and it wasn't grabbing me. And it's like the animation was, was kind of crummy. It's like... Yeah, I know Grant Lowe talked about this on uh, Min Max, and he said he really liked it, but I don't think it's for me. I That's tried fair. like episode one, and I was watching the animation, and I'm like, okay, I feel like I need to like this first to yeah. make it through the animation of the first episode. And I know it's like it the first better. first season of Babylon Five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you can get past the first season. Um, okay, I'll start in season two. Yeah, that might be a thing. Uh, maybe three, but anyway, okay. um, <laughs> because in it, season it, three, Riker grows his beard, and then Ruby yes, becomes so much all, worth it. All the girls all right, grow their go. beards out. It's very nice. Um, <laughs> get a silver beard, a black beard, a blonde beard, and a robot beard. But you'll find out about that later. <laughs> that um, is an anime I want to watch. <laughs> robot beards. <laughs> That's my favorite pirate. Coming soon from Funimation. Um, now I've got a picture in my head of the episode of Star Trek where Data had a beard. <laughs> Do I not I have distinguish a, when I stroke it thusly? I remember a comic book in which there were like these underground pirates and there was black beard and blue beard and brown beard and no beard. <laughs> Just a dude. There <laughs> was no beard. Yeah. Can't even remember what comic that was. But speaking of lots of different colors of beards, um, I'm going to use that as a segue. We're past June as of the recording of this podcast, and now the SCA and fighter practices have finally resumed. We are back to having events. We're back to outdoor activities. We still have to wear face masks at the moment, but it's fine. We're actually able to start doing things again. We are active again, and I'm loving it. I'm so happy to be seeing people. I'm happy to be at fighter practice again, and I hurt so bad right now. <laughs> I believe that. I'm living on a cloud of Advil and ice packs. <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming it's from working those muscles and not from percussive damage, or maybe a little bit of both. I've been hit a few times. Um I'm having to pace myself because fighting is one thing. Wearing a face mask inside the mask, mm. which is one of the safety stipulations, is mm -hmm. not enjoyable. Yeah, and sure. you add to that that I am very, very sore and very out of practice. And especially we have gotten into the hot months of Texas, as we said before. you got to pace yourself. Plus, my mind knows that I have not fought for you know over a year and a half my heart doesn't realize that at all it wants to go back to finding exactly how i used to a couple of years ago and uh, those two don't mesh yeah that's how you can hurt yourself yes that's why i'm being very conscious of what i'm doing i'm, I'm fighting i'm using a lot of awareness when i fight instead of just going into it letting muscle memory take over because well frankly at the moment there is no muscle memory and what is there is is gonna hurt me 
Yeah. So it's going to take a while. Um, it's, I'm, I'm going to have to be patient. And I'm going to have to really start up my at-home practice again. Just yeah, getting a sword in my hands, uh, getting the tendons and getting the joints stretched out, uh, getting the muscles back up. And it'll take time and effort. And uh, it'll, it'll probably just me just a lot, mostly crying, probably just a lot of crying <laughs> uh, to get through it. But uh, hopefully I eventually will. Yeah, I was going to ask you if you'd been keeping up with that uh... – 100-day Pell Challenge that you'd been doing? I actually went through it twice. I did 100 days twice through, and I even did a a baronial challenge for just my group, the Barony of Elfsea, where I challenged people to uh, do something SCA-related every day for 100 days. It could be fighter practice-related, something combat-related, either chivalry combat or rapier or whatever. It could be working on an ANS project. It could be watching your favorite SCA-related medieval movie, uh, music, whatever. Just do something to get us going again and to, uh, to keep the dream alive. And I did it back when I thought our opening day was going to be January. And uh, I, I saw it through. And, of course, that day got pushed back to, to June. But... That's all right. A lot of people did it with me. I kept the 100 days going, and I need to do it again. Uh, I think the 100-day Pell Challenge might not be a bad idea to keep me accountable, uh, even though I'm not fighting against another person. Just having the sword in my hand, going through the movements and the practices and working on my control, and also my footwork, frankly, which I'm ashamed to say is atrocious. Yeah, that so, footwork is the foundation of your safety. So It is. I need to yeah. go back to doing uh, footwork drills. And, was it uh, at least better than Johnny Depp's? <laughs> I've, no I mean, comments. This is, this is the thing is i've seen worse than johnny depp's like i've seen somebody do something like okay we need to stop right here before you hurt yourself in a permanent fashion because mm -hmm. that is exactly the, what's going to happen my footwork was slightly better than one person i was fighting with recently he had his legs sideways and almost stepped over himself twice. Oh. And I saw his feet do it, and I held up. I was going in for an attack, and I pulled myself back because I thought, if I attack now, someone's getting hurt. Right. So yeah. it's like, okay, at least I'm not almost breaking both my ankles at the same time. <laughs> Which I hope he doesn't because I'm currently the baronial rapier marshal, and I really don't want to have to write up an injury report. <laughs> yep. Well, that's going to wrap it up for my geek out. Who would like to go next? I think I'm next. Uh, I have been, it's been a rough time for everybody lately. Um, and to cope, I have been watching these sappy slice of life anime romances. And I don't know why I love them so much, but the girlier they are, the more they make me smile. <laughs> I really am in a zero place to judge you, so you go right <laughs> ahead. I'm really kind of thrown right now, because I thought you were going to say something like old Babylon 5 reruns or season three of Highlander. That is not <laughs> what I was expecting you to say. <laughs> what, and but, you know, is... I'm, I'm doing that too, but the, okay. the thing that's really making me smile is these, these goofy anime romances. Is this an opportunity to talk about Rascal Does Not Dream of a Benny Girl Senpai? Because I'm really hoping that's where we're going. <laughs> it absolutely is an opportunity to talk about that one. Because that was good. Wait, that's actually a thing? <laughs> yes. Well, you've got to remember, they're I all translated you just took from words Japanese. and threw them together and made a title. Well, that's what they do. <laughs> that's, that is fair. That, that is very true. 
Yeah, the, the premise of that one is uh, this high school student is in the library and he sees this girl. She's a, a model and somebody re- reasonably famous uh, that goes to his school. And she's wandering around the, the library in this sexy buddy outfit. Which I about and, tapped out there. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody's just ignoring her. And she comes and she stands by him and he, he says hi to her. And she's, she's surprised that, oh my gosh, somebody acknowledged my existence here. And it turns out that she's got some kind of disorder or something that people literally cannot see her. And the, the show goes on and ex- explores what this, is, what this is about. It's kind of an expression of, uh, Mike, you've said it really well when we were talking about it before. What was it she said? Like, I think this is a supernatural manifestation of like common teenage angst and common teenage developmental issues. Like there, yeah. are, like there are things that are common to your development and the show really throws a spotlight on them by making them supernatural and just over the top. Externalized. Like, yeah. Like, for example, there is one girl who is kind of uncomfortable with with her physical development. But at the same time, she is kind of posting sketchy photos on it. You know, nothing like, oh, my gosh, that's child blah 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 but it's you know they're on the risque side um on an instagram or something like that and she feels conflicted about it like on one hand she kind of hates herself for what she's doing and at the same time she also likes watching all of the like button get hit so many times and so there's there's one part of her that wants to stop and another one that wants to just keep on going and so the way that they externalize this is she splits into two like there's one who can still hate herself and like say, I, okay, I'm stopping this and I don't, I don't like this. And then the other one's like, no, I'm doing it. This is me and I'm doing it. And the two hate each other. Uh, and so the, the story arc is integrating her as a whole self. And they do this with five or six different, different teens. And it's just a fantastic concept for exploring teen issues. Yeah. And that's probably the most, uh, significant and cerebral of them that I've watched. Most of them are really light comedies that don't really say much of anything. I don't even, you you watch enough of them and you're like, okay, this is just the same story again and again. The formula is the same. I mean, the Mm -hmm. formula is absolutely the same. It's like, there's a manifestation of this issue and they have to work this issue out, but it doesn't feel like you're burdened with something that's repetitive because first the writing is top notch. The banter between, uh, between our protagonist and my, the girl who's wearing the bunny girl costume is just so staggeringly good, even on the rewatch, because I've watched this more than once recently. And, um, (laughs) it's, yeah, it's got great dialogue. It's got some wonderful concepts and, it's just good. Mm. And now you had also mentioned something that there's a movie, which I couldn't find any information about. Oh, I found information on that because my friend Drew had said, Mike, uh, Bunny Girl has got a movie and we're going. And Kaja <laughs> looked at her schedule and said, uh, somebody has to watch the girls. And Drew had said, okay, I'm going with Mike on Wednesday and going with Kaja on Thursday. And <laughs> Or the other way around or whatever. So we both got Drew dates. It was great. Um, <laughs> yeah, they they tackle, you know, there's a young girl that shows up with a with a kitten 
that mm -hmm. sometimes disappears and they can't find her. Right, and um, they never resolved that. <laughs> right. Uh, funny how they never resolve that. Uh, the The movie is about her, and and also trying to choose between who lives and who dies. Mm. Um, and so this is a really serious, like it's it's really a, a tense film but it deals with a lot with time shifting and time travel because the same girl shows up but older and she does it i think subtly during the series but it's very yeah. over during the movie like they yeah they explore that um, yeah there was a, that that dangling thread i'm just like oh i really because he, that's from the very beginning is he's he's kind of pining for this girl that he met when he was younger and she shows up she's just sprinkled in he's like i really want this resolution of this this thread and it's not coming and it's driving me crazy <laughs> oh yeah the movie does that and it's it's a movie that i think that i would have to watch more than once because it's anytime you're doing with time travel it, it can get it can get loopy and complicated and it did mm -hmm. um but it was it was still solid i i enjoyed it yeah there were a couple more that uh let's see there's one called engaged to the unidentified in which uh the protagonist is a a girl who this guy shows up on her doorstep and just announces, I'm your fiance. Our, oh our grandfather's gosh. arranged this and she, and I'm moving in here now. And she's like, uh, this is news to me. And then as it goes on, you'll learn a little bit more and more about this guy. And he's, he's weird, but he's kind of likable still, you know, the way that they managed to do an anime somehow. I'm not entirely sure how that works. Uh, Ask my wife how that works. She'll, yeah. <laughs> she'll tell you all about somebody who, who's kind of like that. I don't know. Mm -hmm. who. Strangely likable. <laughs> At least she thinks, seems to think so. <laughs> uh, and then as, as it goes on and you, she, because it turns out that she's got a little bit of am amnesia from a, an injury that she'd had uh, earlier in her life. And she'd actually had met him before. And I don't, I won't reveal too much more about it than that in case somebody wants to watch it, but it's a, it's a solid show. Um, and it made me cry just like, everything makes me cry these days. <laughs> um, no, I've watched a few things that have made me cry lately. So, you know, yeah. keep on doing uh, it. Laura's <laughs> love was also really good and funny. Uh, that one's about these two students who they really like each other, but they seem to think that falling in love is a battle. And whoever it is that says, I love you first is the one who loses. <laughs> and so they're always trying to, to get the other person to admit, I like you without ever having done it themselves. And this, this conflict between them is just hilarious. Anyway, so yeah, spending a lot of time watching shoujo. <laughs> uh, I also found a, this is kind of dovetails with that a little bit, especially the conversation about Bunny Girl Senpai. Um, I ran across a YouTube channel called Cinema Therapy, and it's these two guys. One of them is a licensed therapist, and the other one is a filmmaker. And they just discuss movies through the lens of, uh, of therapy. Um, they've done some analysis of like Anakin Skywalker saying, okay, well, yeah, this guy has a, I forget what they said it. It was a, they had a specific personality disorder. It's like, yeah, he checks all of the boxes for this personality disorder. And, you know, if I had Anakin Skywalker sitting here, these are the things that I would, I would discuss with him and, and hopefully be able to, to help him resolve his issues like the Jedi Council should have done. This sounds really <laughs> fascinating. I think it's right up your alley. I think you'd like it a lot. Um, yeah, I'm kind of questioning what I've been doing with my life lately. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the episodes that they talk about Pixar movies are just 
fabulous, um, especially since, uh, Inside Out, since that one was kind of a therapy lesson to begin with. Right. Um, and I'm I'm learning a lot about you know the, about the movies and about myself through watching this. It's a fantastic fantastic channel. I've just been I've been doing a lot of rotoscoping at work, you know, kind of mindless mindless tasks. So I just put this on in the background and listen to it. It's just really really good. Their episode on the Joker was also really really oh, good. Oh man! And I think they fixed my problems with the sequel, the Star Wars sequel trilogy with their analysis of Kylo Ren. Really? I like, think I heard somebody's take on this. It's like, oh my gosh, he's actually a good and compelling character to me now. <laughs> Maybe I need to watch their episode concerning The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. It's good. It is. Maybe it won't so much help me get over it as help me explain better why I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if nothing else, you'll you'll get some therapy out of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> And for free, because it's on YouTube. Yeah, like, Guys, I, I, I watched their episode and I've got closure. Yeah, yeah. Now I hate it guilt-free. <laughs> I think that I have, I've, I've come to the conclusion as to why anybody hates anything Star Wars. And it's because it wasn't the Star Wars that they loved when they were a kid. That's all it <laughs> takes. That is all it takes. Did you ever hear that uh, parody of uh, Gotye? Uh, this is not the Star Wars that I used to know. Oh my gosh, I've heard that. <laughs> yes. So yeah, Cinema Therapy is a is a good channel. And I have been, I mentioned a couple episodes ago that I've been streaming on Twitch and James was flabbergasted. <laughs> uh, lately, I've been streaming XCOM 2, War of the Chosen. And I've also talked about XCOM recently on the show. Uh, XCOM 2 is confusing because it's actually like the fifth or sixth uh, title in the series because they rebooted it. Okay. Uh, I, I was wondering how that was working. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's a Firaxis game. And uh, Firaxis, when they release their expansions, have a tendency to vastly change the experience of playing the game. It's like, we don't just mm. add new content, we add new rules. Um, they do that every time they release an expansion for Civilization. It's like, expansion for Civilization 6 practically makes it Civilization 7. And then they do another one, and that's Civilization 8. But it's still just expansions on Civ 6. They did the same thing with XCOM. And the War of the Chosen adds so much complexity. And uh, unfortunately, they, they stacked a lot of it at the beginning of the game. Um, so like the first third of it is three times as hard. But then you get all of the stuff from it being three times as hard, and the last is bet is three times as easy. Um, but I've been streaming that in the like the second highest difficulty level. Oh, jeez. Um, in Iron Man mode, so no reloading saves. Whatever happens, happens, uh, and it is brutally difficult. And I'm having a lot of fun playing it. <laughs> all right. When when are you doing your streams? It's kind of irregular. Um, I've been hitting. Monday evenings and either Friday or Saturday uh, most of the time. I'm pretty consistent in the mornings with Magic the Gathering, but XCOM happens, you know, whenever I feel like it. So it, it's rather irregular. Sounds like a way to do something you're enjoying. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, and I've had a couple of, of good people come in and, and have conversations with me about it. Um, there's a guy that does uh, XCOM mods uh, who's, porting some of the bad guys from the first game into the second one. So he's oh. been kind of fun to talk to. 
Wait, from the first first game or the second the, first game? The, well, the, the third first game, I think. Third first game. Okay. So <laughs> now we have the enemy unknown into XCOM two. Gosh, I, I can only imagine that it's it's XCOM the fifth XCOM two released on the Xbox One. But right. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's bewildering. I'm I'm wondering what they're going to do when they finally do release the third after their reboot because it's going to be rebooting Terror from the Deep, which was the actual XCOM two from way back in the nineties. Why are why do they just just make just shut up and make the game, guys? And then pretty just, soon we're going to have XCOM X and then XCOM X two, and it'll be like Mega Man. No, no, they're, <laughs> they're going to go with a different route than to continue to raising the numbers. It's going to be XCOM XCOM Reloaded. <laughs> right. <laughs> XCOM with a vengeance. Yeah. <laughs> XCOM even XCOMier. <laughs> right. XCOM Electric Boogaloo. And then they're just gonna, then they're just going to take the numbers and start working backwards again just because. <laughs> right. Well, then they got out of uh IXCOM and then VIIICOM. Yeah. <laughs> When they get to XXX comp, don't don't buy that one, Brian. <laughs> it's like, oh, why are this you using what I thought it was going to be? <laughs> why are you guys using Maya numbers now? Stop! Why? Uh, that's about all I have to say on my geek out. Well, what about you, Mike? Um, things have been kind of geek light lately. I've been just kind of recycling stuff just because um, I can't deal, and <laughs> I haven't wanted to deal. <laughs> Um, so I wanted to take my geek out to to make mention of the fact that we are in episode 42, which is officially our Hitchhikerversary. So if you've ever read or listened to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, you're familiar Don't of panic. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. So we have hit the auspicious number 42, which is in the series, the answer to life, the ultimate question of life, the universe and everything which really doesn't leave much room as to knowing what the question is, but that's also part of the search. So it's, if you've not either read or watched or heard or played or bought the towel, which there is one for the Hitchhiker's <laughs> Guide to the Galaxy, I highly, highly recommend it because it is just delightful, absurdist humor with just the most deliciously written prose by Douglas Adams. And that's going to be the name of this episode. Geek at Arms, episode 42. It's Magrathia! (laughs) (laughs) Really, the thing is that the Hitchhiker's Guide has had so many different incarnations, and there's not been any... Actually, no. There has been an effort to not make them consistent. Like, Adam's never cared. And (laughs) I think it's really freeing when you're making a series... When you just say it does, it doesn't matter. This is this is what we're doing, mm-hmm. um, and uh, continuity is for other people. Yeah, right. Like they had. Have you ever listened to the radio series? I have listened to one episode. It wasn't the first episode. I've never had a chance to catch it. Oh gosh, it is. It's actually how the Hitchhiker's Guide started. It was it was a radio drama first which is why the book on CD sounds so good or the audiobook sounds so good is because it was really written for the ear. And like War of the Worlds, there were people who thought that the Hitchhiker's Guide was actually <laughs> real, but those people were very dumb. <laughs> but anyway, highly recommend 
get the audio drama. It's an easy listen. It's on, it, it's on Audible. And then if you like it, go from there. Get the book. It's different than the radio drama and anything else. I even kind of liked the 2000-something movie. It had its moments. Yeah. I thought it would have been better if the dolphins hadn't come back in the end, because then it would have been an allusion to what the circumstance was at the beginning of book four, because they Arthur got back to Earth and there were no more dolphins, and he was trying to figure out his place in this world that shouldn't exist anymore. But anyway, so... Uh, enough about that. Uh, I actually have a couple items for To the Future, if we could resurrect that segment. Oh, heck yeah. So those of you who have uh, not tuned in recently, To the Future is a segment where we look ahead to some bits of media or things that have been announced or hinted at, but not yet released. And the first thing that caught my interest was, for who knows what reason, is they are doing a Highlander reboot. Really? Yeah. That... <laughs> it's an unusual choice, but it could be a good one. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the thing. It's like it's it's an unusual choice because, I mean, Highlander was an open and shut. There is no more room for a sequel that spawned, what, five sequels? And it two TV shows? <laughs> right. I mean, and... Oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. There was a hot minute there. I completely forgot about Highlander Raven. <laughs> and my life was better for it. Oh, uh, I forgot about welcome. that. Then you forgot about the third TV series, which was Highlander, the animated series. Was there an animated series? There was an animated yes. series. I it, totally missed out on that one. No, it was Highlander pretty much in name only. I mean, <laughs> it was, weird. was the entire rest of the franchise. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, we don't know anything about this Highlander reboot other than it's not going to be any good because nothing in Highlander ever was. (laughs) No, no, I'm going to argue with you on that. Please do. The first movie while being high concept was fun and enjoyable. It set up the great lore and, and watching Sean Connery just act all over the place (laughs) is always fun. (laughs) Okay. The movie was fun. I mean, it is super cheesy. Like, it yeah. has the tone but of sword and sorcery from the 80s. The concept, though, I think is fantastic. It is solid. You know, immortals yeah. battling to the death throughout history to claim a prize that only one of them can have. And on paper, it sounds like like dynamite. The execution, though... And we're it, going to cast a blind Frenchman as the Scot <laughs> and a Scotsman as the Spaniard. <laughs> Yeah, and and Lambert did not even speak English when they cast him. Yeah, like it was one of those things. Like watching the movie, you wouldn't you wouldn't know that. I mean, he 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 hired English about as well as Andre the Giant did in The Princess Bride. I mean, a little bit better, I'd say. Well, it was one of those things. Like, do you even speak English? I will by the time we start filming. Like, oh, Mm -hmm. good heavens. Um, It's like I I need I need to get an English lesson and vocal coach. Who should I get? Sean Connery, let me introduce someone to you. <laughs> he actually got a vocal coach to help him develop an accent that was like mingled international. Like he wanted it to not sound like anything. Well, and, that would actually make sense for the character. Success. Right. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, the only like this thing has been in and out of production on and off forever because Highlander. Um <laughs> And they have, was it Henry Cavill cast as the lead? Yeah, they've cast Henry Cavill, which honestly I think is a step in the right direction. 
I mean, the dude can present physically, um, mm-hmm. apparently can act. So, I mean, that's that's a good first. We got somebody who can act. That's a good first step. And he's really good at staring at people without saying anything. So he gives good smolder. Yes. I mean, he gives I, good smolder. And he can bring he that can bring like an X Files reference, but yeah, <laughs> I, I thought it was an, an Aunt Baru reference. But anyway, moving on. Oh, <laughs> awesome! Wow. <laughs> well, and <laughs> can't get past that. And, <laughs> oh, oh, neither can Uncle Owen. Um, <laughs> we know he can bring it physically, the sword fighting, because of his time in the Witcher series. And uh, it's already been proved that the man's a huge geek. And so, you know, he'll have respect for the part. He'll try to do it justice. I mean, as long as they showed him the right movie, if they showed him anything after the first Highlander movie, it is so screwed. I mean, (laughs) no, what I really want out of this is for him. Like they they have these chroniclers that would that would watch and and watchers. Is that a thing from the series? Yes, the watchers. Okay, what I want is for him to to meet up court, but never interfere. Right. Like whatever that means. And what I really want is for him to meet up with another immortal. Like, so are you talking to your watcher about like, (laughs) dude, I told him we came from the planet Zeist. Like, (laughs) (laughs) you can't do that. Like, I I also told him that (laughs) McLeod won the prize so many years ago. Why are you stringing them along like this? Like, he's got to know that's not the truth. I mean, we're still here. Like, (laughs) I don't know. He's never asked questions. Um, <laughs> so then, you know, then the whole series makes sense that it's, it's just one I, watcher who's is, been screwed with the whole time. This is my headcanon now. Yeah, same. <laughs> oh, my gosh. They should have included that in an episode of the original series. That would have made it so good. <laughs> it, it's it's a lost opportunity, really. Just just out of the blue, they're all sitting at a bar together, and uh, the watcher Joe just turns to to Duncan and said, "So are you guys aliens or what?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're totally aliens. <laughs> like, no, no, I'm, I'm Duncan McLeod. Yeah, yeah, the Clan McLeod. Blah blah blah. I've seen the show intro, but really, are you <laughs> are you aliens? You say that every week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See this. This is why I'm hoping for a reboot for more conversations like this. <laughs> I don't even know that I want to see the movie. Uh, uh, the The next thing that was kind of on my radar was there is going to be a Marvel tabletop RPG released in 2022. Hmm. Yeah. I am really surprised it's taken this long for them to jump on that. Honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think maybe they've taken so long because they've decided they're going to do it in-house. They're not working with a game company. They're just going to do it. Well, they got that Disney money now, so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and this worked well for, for Wendy's, so, I mean, why not do an in-house <laughs> RPG? <laughs> but they're proud to announce their own D616 system, whatever that means. And I'm, I'm hoping that means that I get to roll like a handful. Which is a really gigantic die. Yeah, 616-sided die is all I need to make my life complete. I mean, I tried rolling a D100 once, oh. and the thing just rolls forever, and it never comes to a stop. And then it went off the table, hit the floor, put a hole in the sheetrock, and now he's lost his security deposit. Right. <laughs> but... Yeah, I mean, I really the idea of playing this super powered superhero fighting supervillains 
that that is for somebody else and i'm i know where some of those books are if i want that what i really want to do is is play what is his name dr darcy and an agent <laughs> Wu like in an asymmetrical situation where you're doing this investigation and confrontation of powers that are a hundred times more powerful than you, but somehow through the cleverness and techie gadgets, you, you somehow manage to come out on top. Now that, that is a game I want to play. Give me the sword that's, and shield source books. That's how I play uh, rifts. Everybody else is the power armor pilot, baby dragon, whatever. I'm playing a vagabond. <laughs> I'm homeless. We don't know how he showed up. He's not part of the party. He's just been following us around, and we've been feeding him scraps. Uh, you know, I could totally see Darcy really working with with a housing challenged individual to to get her intel on the street. I mean, I I could see that happening. We made him part of the party and split the loot with him just so he'd take a bath. <laughs> but and in defense of the baby dragon, though, that was not by her choice. That was purely at random. No, I think uh, that was suggested because she didn't know the first thing about role playing, and so I said, "Okay, how about you play somebody who's two days old?" Oh, see, so yeah. like two minutes old. I thought that she rolled that at random, and she just happened to land on baby great horn dragon. Uh, no, I think I suggested that to her because okay. she she had an excuse for not knowing anything about anything. Well, either way, she played it to the hilt. <laughs> yes, she did. That sounds brilliant. How did that work in execution? Wonderfully. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we only played, I think, one session with her, though. James came in right after she hatched, and she pounced on him and licked his face. Yeah, my character thought he was about to die. I thought death was imminent. She licked my face, looked me in the eye, and goes, hi. <laughs> I mean, that's how we met. <laughs> <laughs> it was the Black Hearts. Everything was a little weird there. Everything was a little weird back then. There's a lot more face looking going on than should have been for anyone. <laughs> But moving on. It's really awkward when everybody's wearing those masks, too. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. you got to like really work hard to lick somebody's face through a fencing <laughs> mask. And that's why we have COVID now. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, like there, there was one time my wife showed up at when we were fencing at the park with my with my infant eldest daughter at the time. And like... <sighs> Kaja's, I mean, that's just not her scene. It's not her, it's not her thing. So she'd not really been around the black hearts a lot. So I saw her, I ran up, I snatched the baby and then ran back to the group that I was talking to. And just the look I on stole people's the face, baby. like, it was like, it was a, like, there was some anxiety. And then there was the question, Mike, please tell me, you know, that baby. <laughs> uh, well, I, uh, I was a little surprised by the inclusion of the To the Future segment, but I happened to have just, uh, right before we recorded, I was scrolling through Twitter, and I saw that there was a uh, trailer for The Outer Worlds 2. And I won't say anything other than you should watch the trailer for The Outer Worlds 2 because it is in keeping with the humorous style of the first Outer Worlds. And I think you'll both enjoy it. Okay, Outer Worlds. Oh, I was thinking the Outer Limits at first. Like, wait a minute, are you doing the TV show? <laughs> the Outer Worlds video game. Not to be confused with the Outer Wilds, which was released at almost the same time with almost the same title. Now, oh, the so Outer Worlds, the first one was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. It had that feeling of the... They've definitely got that Fallout feel to them, but you know, set in a kind of... They feel much more whimsical. and yeah, uh, It's like... 
Fallout space opera. Yes, Fallout space. It's a good way of putting it. Is and much more, much more funny feeling. And with a bit of a Firefly mixed in, which mm-hmm. pleased me to no end. Yeah. Was this the one where they had rations at the factory and the things that were going into the rations were like sawdust and, and <laughs> surplus bolts? Yes. Not food. <laughs> Why is everybody getting sick? Well, it's because you're serving them not food. You know that joke about how in every food bar there's nine insect parts? You wish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, they, they, they say that, but what they never say is that it's somebody's job to put them there. Yeah. <laughs> They say that in every my, my candy bar is up to, to uh, John Tynes and uh, Greg Stolze because I stole that joke from Unknown Armies. <laughs> that was one of my favorite parts of the book. But I was thinking, like, you know, they say there can be up to nine insect pieces in every candy bar. But you know what? Go ahead and put more. 10, 11, 15 insect parts. You treat yourself. <laughs> I mean, cook it and it's just dietary protein, but no one wants to think about it. And raise the way. price by 15%. Yeah. <laughs> More of the crunchy goodness that you love. Uh, I... Okay, so yeah, Outer Worlds 2. Mm-hmm. Fun trailer. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of fun trailers, uh, I wasn't expecting it to the future as well, and I normally I think I'd have quite a bit to be looking forward to, but the one that's coming out at the top of my list right now is later this year, I think in October, we're finally going to see the re-imaging of Frank Herbert's Dune. Oh, the that's on yeah. radar a while. Yeah, and uh, it it has a fantastic trailer, which gave me a lot of hope for the quality of the movie. Uh, they, they've cast some fantastic people. Uh, Dave Bautista, uh, Jason Momoa, Josh Brolin, uh, Zendaya, who, yep. as Mike and I were talking the other day, is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I just got to have hope. I'm, at this point, I'm just going to be hopefully optimistic that yeah. this is going to be a phenomenal space opera. See? I'm afraid to hope. See, I, I don't, yeah, I don't, times, everyone. I don't want to hope that it will be good. I'm hoping to see an interesting perspective for something that almost always goes wrong. I mean, it's, it, it's, what is it, what is it going to look like this time? And what, what parts of the book do they highlight and what do they cut out? What do they skip over? I mean, I'm, I'm in for the experience, but n- not with a whole lot of high hopes. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, really, the book itself is problematic. I mean, yeah, <laughs> like if you do it faithfully, you're gonna do it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this well, is. Do you know what? I'm gonna go over that book probably on another podcast at some point. Nothing solid, mm-hmm. but I'll talk about that more later. But this movie's been pushed back quite a few times because of COVID and like everything else. But October has always felt so far away, but I mean, it's coming up a lot more quickly than I thought. So we'll, uh, we'll be able to check it out and, uh, and give a review on this podcast at a later date. I'm looking forward to it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, me too. Uh, So was that all of it for uh, to the future? I think that's all of it. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of new segments, I have a pop quiz. Yay. I'm killing it with the segues today. Well, I'm being marginally acceptable <laughs> with the segues today. Moving on. Now you had a segue. <laughs> it's great the first day you drive it around, and then you look, you get the looks people give you, and you decide, I'm not Paul Blart. I'm getting off this. <laughs> so we talked in an earlier episode when discussing WandaVision, just how, how little Paul Bettany's The Vision was used in the Marvel movies. 
especially considering how incredible his portrayal of that character is. That got me thinking about other characters in the MCU who suffered from the same. So my pop quiz question for the two of you is, who do you think are your most underutilized characters in the MCU? They were fantastic, and they deserve much more screen time. Oh, that's easy. Shuri. Yeah, didn't I just say Darcy? (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting that we're all going female, because for me, my top one and my close follow-up is Rene Russo's Frigga from the Thor movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I had forgotten. I mean, I thought she was fantastic in Thor and Thor the Dark World. And then she shows up in the last Infinity War movie and just delightful. She's just wonderful. I have to wonder if any of her lines were improv because as she's saying goodbye to her son, she's goodbye. I love you. Eat a salad. (laughs) I don't know if I'm going with maybe. Okay, maybe above Darcy, I would probably take and I'm blanking on the character's name. She's the one who founded S.H.I.E.L.D. back in the 40s. Oh, uh, Carter. Agent Carter. Carter. I, I want, I, I want Agents of Shield, the Carter Chronicles. Well, that's the we, show. They I had want. that. Yeah, Wait, they had the did? Agent. Carter. Had, she had an Agent Carter yeah. show. Yeah, Agent Carter from 2015 to 2016. It got like two seasons. Well, I know what I'm watching now. Yeah, that was ah, <laughs> uh, that was such a tough sell. I'm sure for them, a female-led show starring a foreigner. With no actual superhero superpowers, it's like there's so much stacked against it. But I so wanted it to to do well. It was a yeah. good show. How did Honestly, I not know about this? This is like I, right up my alley. I really don't know either. I th- we I think Brian and I just assumed that you did. Well, you know what? Wish granted. Yeah. yeah right. Jeez. <laughs> wow. We gotta be careful with these segments. They're dangerous. <laughs> and it also had um. Uh, what's the actor's name? Uh, Jarvis. Really? Yeah. Uh, gosh. James Darcy as Edward Jarvis. <laughs> yeah, and he's he's fantastic. And they also uh, got, got back more the uh, the gentleman who played uh, the young Howard Stark in the mm-hmm. first Captain America movie. They got him back to play Howard Stark as well. Jeez. Okay. If this is on Disney Plus, then that's what I'm doing. <laughs> it ought to be. Yep. I mean, I was really surprised when we got a second season. I know it was probably too much to hope for a third. It didn't happen, but I was happy with what we did get. Mm-hmm. Along with uh, Rene Russo, I would have loved to have seen, and we might get, it's been alluded that we're going to get more of her. Uh, I would love to see more uh, Lady Sif. She okay. just was kind yeah, of she, forgotten she about. Had, didn't she have a web series? I don't know about a web series. She showed up in a couple of episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Mm-hmm. And that's been the last we've seen of her. Yeah, there's she was been, good in those episodes too. I really enjoyed those. There's been some rumor that she's going to show up in the next Thor movie. We'll wait and see. I mean, she. I kind of felt bad for her and also for the Warriors Three, yeah. uh, Volstagg, Hogan, and Fandral. Th- those three were just killed off. Just so blasé, like just so. Oh, they're here. Okay, you, hey, you were big parts of the first two movies. Whatever, you're dead now. Yeah, and they. They never really got the chance to to shine with their banter. It's mm-hmm. like we threw it in a couple of times, sprinkled it in here and there, but I really wanted them to be more like, uh, you know, in, in romantic comedies when you got the three old men that are just arguing and bantering with each other. They should have been treated like that. 
but they're always in the background making commentary on what's happening. Oh, how wonderful would it have been if we'd gotten a web series, The Warriors 3 and the Multiverse. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think Lady Sif deserves better, so crossing fingers that we'll get more of her. And we could have used more Frigga. So, and we could have used more Peggy Carter. And, you know, hopefully we'll get more Darcy. And I think we will see more Shuri in Black oh, Panther 2. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, I think that will lead us to our main topic. And uh, it's time for another film club. And when we, we were discussing what we were wanting to study next, we kept on bringing up animated movies again. And we're like, well, we already did an animated movie film club. And what should we do next? And then we remembered we're the ones deciding what we do. If, if we want to do another animated film club, we can. So this is the animated film club, the sequel. Like, aren't you concerned that our sponsors and and our and our subscribers are going to pull their fund? Oh wait. Well, I'm a little bit worried about the podcast cops. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, it's going to work like the vegan police in Scott Pilgrim. They're just going to come and take our mic powers away. <laughs> Are these the guys who go around like, again. yeah, is it, are they kind of like the secret police on uh, Night Vale? They go around in their secret stealth helicopters. <laughs> no, those, <laughs> those people are planting microphones. The, the podcast with police would be taking them away. Ah, that's a good point. <laughs> All right. For the first movie for our animated film club sequel, uh, we are taking a look at the 2010 DreamWorks classic, How to Train Your Dragon. And, you know, after having heard you say that, I think we're missing an opportunity. If we're going to do a sequel to the Animated Film Club, it should have been an, a film club of se animated sequels. Oh, my We should have started with How to Train God. Your Dragon 2. Man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, pause the podcast. We'll come back in a week. Yeah. <laughs> got to rethink everything now. I don't want to watch The Secret of Nim 2, though. Oh, no. Oh, no. I didn't oh, see that. Me neither. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> Speaking of the podcast, please, I think they're coming now. Yeah, James, <laughs> James, James does not do horror. Do not speak such words because that's going to be really. Uh, I keep a copy around of that actually for when my kids are really bad. <laughs> I just keep have it to hold. We're going to watch the Land Before Time thirteen. That's right. Oh man! I just hold it up and they start hiccuping and crying. I'm sorry. We'll be good. <laughs> And speaking of hiccup, perfect segue to a film called How to Train Your Dragon. Nailing it today. Amazon warns that, th uh, that this contains a foul language of violence and drug, drug use. Like, really? Yes. Like, my eldest and I were watching, we were like, wait a minute, foul language, violence? Okay, fine. Like, yeah, I mean, they're hitting dragons. I mean, yeah. There's Vikings and dragons, yeah. Uh, but foul language, like, we looked for the epithet and Bryant had to remind us when it came in but still little known fact in ninth century scandinavia hiccup is actually a foul euphemism <laughs> oh well done yeah <laughs> i'm i'm wondering maybe amazon has been suffering from too much drug use unless we're counting unless we're trying uh, counting the dragon nip as a hard drug which really is nonsense. It's legal in seven states, and in Massachusetts, anyone 21 and over can go to a reputable dragon nip dispensary. <laughs> Do you have to have a prescription, though? Oh, no, not in Massachusetts. Oh, wow. It's, it's, it's recreational dragon nip. Yeah. I'm reminded, uh, there was. I used to work at a Blockbuster video, and we had this computer hiccup that 
again with the hiccups <laughs> <laughs> that occurred and it printed the ratings and warnings from Romeo must die on the back of one of those Mary Kate and Ashley movies. Oh. And so this woman comes up to the desk and she says, my daughter wants to rent this, but I'm, it says it's rated R for martial arts, violence and nudity. <laughs> and my coworker just without missing and beating, he says, Oh yeah. Mary Kate and Ashley's Kung Fu orgy party. <laughs> I look wow. at this like, oh, no, that's Romeo must die. Go you didn't tell me that Mike Sisson worked with you. <laughs> Well, that guy's name was Vance, and oh. he was so sharp. I mean, just so quick. He I wish loved, I could be like that. He loved Clerks, didn't he? Oh, yes, he did. <laughs> <laughs> he did indeed. <laughs> okay, so why this film? Well, I was the one who recommended it for the film club, because besides just being an all-around enjoyable family animated movie, it's one that continually subverted my expectations as far as the plot and the characters. You add that to an incredible score, some really great voice acting, and you had a movie that I was pleased to see again and again, and I was very happy when sequels kept getting announced, and then you know Netflix TV shows, and then another Netflix TV show, and then mm -hmm. a Netflix children's show, and they just they just keep coming. They're not st they're not stopping. We talked about the land before time earlier. I think we're getting to that <laughs> point. Yeah, I gotta say, like I, I I remember this film really fondly because it was it was actually kind of a surprise because we somehow either picked it up or streamed it or whatever when the kids were younger. And I'm like, okay, fine, we're gonna sit here and watch another stupid kid show and sit here for another stupid hour and a half to watch a stupid kid show, and it was surprisingly entertaining. Yeah, it's one that kids are obviously going to be enthralled with, but one that pretty much every adult I've ever met have all said, that movie's delightful. It's great. And uh, let's start breaking it down about yeah. why it is or why some of us think it isn't. Yeah, because it's for me, it's not like pass the envelope, please. Like, it's charming. Yeah. But there's some things that had some real ups and some real, like, I'm really glad that we have the time to dissect some of this because it's fun to mm -hmm. dissect. Yeah. So let's start with the film craft. Uh, well, as usual, I'm the one who's actually in the film industry, so I'll go first on that. Uh, there's not really technically anything noteworthy here. Um, I mean, it's not pushing the envelope on rendering technology or anything of the sort. It is very well executed, but they didn't invent anything new. They didn't do anything that other people hadn't, even that they hadn't already done. Um, I did read a few things that suggested that DreamWorks didn't have a ray tracing renderer until the second Dragons movie. But after I watched it a second time, because I, I watched it and then I, I read some things about it and then I watched it again. And I, I watched it with an eye to, wow, did they really not have ray tracing here? And I don't think that's true because there's reflections, there's caustics and subsurface scattering, uh, none of which you can do without ray tracing. And for those who are not familiar with this term, um, a ray trace renderer shoots a array, a line from the camera through the pixel on the screen, whatever it is that they're, this pixel is the, the one under consideration. We need to find out what color it is. So they shoot from the camera through that pixel and then it hits something. And when it hits that thing, it detects, okay, well, well what are the surface properties? What are the angle of whatever it is that I hit? And it shoots rays out from there in every direction until those rays hit something else. And 
these rays indicate, okay, well, this is where the light is coming from that's hitting the surface. And so does this ray shoot out and hit an actual light source or does it hit another surface, which is reflecting onto it and so forth. And, it, you know, every time the road bounces around and you shoot them all around the, uh, I'm doing all these hand gestures that you guys can't see. <laughs> I'm feeling them though. I'm feeling them. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, shoot them all around the scene until you get finally all of the contributions of light that are hitting that spot that represents what pic- what color that pixel is going to be. And so this is how you get reflected light. If there's, if there's light bouncing off a wall and picking up that wall's color and then reflecting onto the character or, an actual reflection, you know, if you've got the water, what does the camera see in that water? Is reflecting the sky or a character or the trees around it and so forth? Uh, is there light coming from behind somebody's ear and lighting it up so that you get that that little pink glow from when somebody's backlit or when you put your, uh, a flashlight on your hand? Uh, all these things are things that you can get from a ray trace renderer. And so they're all in there. And so I'm thinking... Yeah, no, that article that I was reading, several articles that I was reading are full of it. They had a ray tracing renderer at this point. They may have invented a new one for later movies, but yet it's there. The cinematography is interesting. Most animated movies are very bright. You watch uh, Shrek, and for the most part, it's all shot in the daytime. You can see everything very clearly. Madagascar, daytime all the time. Even when it's night, everything is well lit. You can see it all. Mm-hmm. In this movie, they did a lot of stuff with uh, very low key lighting. You know, things are, are fading off into the shadows, particularly the those intimate scenes at night uh, when, you know, when Hiccup's talking to his dad in the smithy. And I think that shot was lit entirely just with those candles. You know, they didn't add really help set the lights. Well, it really helps set the scenes and the tone for each of those moments. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you're thinking about the modeler who's like, built all of this stuff. I mean, there's, there's drawings and there's, there's tools in here and there's, there's the furniture and everything. And all of that is almost invisible. It's, it's there. You can, you can kind of see it if you're looking hard, but it's not obvious because, you know, they kept the light low and it kept the attention on the characters mm-hmm. and on their emotions. So I think that it's not something that very many animated movies do. Actually, we've talked about another one that did, did that fairly well, the secret of Nim. Yes. Played with light and darkness quite a lot. And I think it showed that they had a they had a good cinematographer, and I forget the guy's name. He was in one of the interviews that I watched, but he was involved very early on helping to set the look of the movie. I have just learned so much just now. <laughs> well, that's what I'm here for. That's why I listen to this podcast. Was it Gil Zimmerman? <laughs> that sounds right. In any case, uh it was it's very beautifully shot and especially those those intimate very personal scenes mm-hmm. um, while i don't know that there was anything particularly groundbreaking or noteworthy i thought it was worth talking a little bit about the character design i mean because this some things that are pretty common in computer animated films but we've never previously discussed a computer animated film and overall, the feel of the show is really cartoony with overly caricatured designs and, and bodily proportions. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a pretty common technique when we need to keep characters out of the uncanny valley. Mm-hmm. And it's one that DreamWorks uses pretty often. You look at characters like Lord Farquaad from, from Shrek and you see that we're going to exaggerate their, their proportions 
so that nobody expects him to look like an actual person. Yeah, I mean, you go too far the opposite direction, and you wind up in in uh, what was it? Uh, Final Fantasy. This is it. The hidden spirits or the spirits within? The something spirits within. Yeah. Yeah. I I remember that differently because I was in Romania, and it was uh, it was Final <laughs> Fantasy Spiritatele Ascunse, and I cannot remember it any other way. Um, now there was a movie that advanced some technology with all that hair. That was beautiful. Oh mm -hmm. man. Like there's so much that came out of that film, but a plot was not one of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> beautiful well, scenery. As much plot as any final yeah. fantasy game. True. <laughs> beautiful animation, right. fantastic effects, dead eyed characters. And, uh, but I will say like, I will, I will defend that film as the perfect choice if you are stranded in Bucharest and you cannot get out of the town and you have got one <laughs> English language film to choose from with Romanian subtitles that is something I do not regret <laughs> uh, that's uh yeah that's a heck of a tangent okay so yeah well, I was gonna say that's a heck of a review yeah. <laughs> it is the most positive review they ever got of that film and now for the second movie for our animated film club series we'll be looking at final fantasy what was Spirit the rest of it yes <laughs> and we'll be watching the version that mike did so we can all share in the experience with the subtitles and all all right so are we talking about character we're, design we're yeah. talking about character design <laughs> so um they really gave some special attention to Hiccup, though, as he is the, like, massive, air quotes, most human-looking of the humans, followed only closely <clears throat> by the love interest, Astrid. And I, I'm assuming that they that they did that to make those two characters more emotionally grounding, like we, we identify with them because they look more like us. But the, the dragons were, like, on the way other end of the scale. They are very generally very cartoony with absurd, almost toy-like designs. Well, of course, because keep in mind that that makes great merchandising for which they made a ton of for this movie. <laughs> I can only imagine. I, yeah, I looked a little bit into, like, can I buy toys for the first? Oh, there are so many toys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think at one point my daughter got taken to Build-A-Bear and she got a toothless dragon. Jeez. Oh, now that's another thing with Toothless wasn't a very cartoony looking dragon. Like he did, he didn't look absurd like no. some of the other ones did, but it looked like they took a lot of references from cats and other animals when they're trying to animate Toothless's movements and postures, but probably also to trigger those same emotional ties that we have with our pets, so mm -hmm. that we will like emotionally transfer onto Toothless. So I yeah. I think i see what they were going for there and especially with his eyes like his eyes were very emotive and they didn't quite anthropomorphize him but they did make it easy to see what he was kind of what his general mood was oh yeah and it was always very easy to tell and so the audience can understand what he's feeling and what he's going through and that made it easy to sympathize with him and sympathize with our sympathetic character sympathizing with him so. yes <laughs> yes <laughs> i think i follow that uh yeah i think i i've it was one of the featurettes where they mentioned that the the inspiration for toothless's look was one of the animators had a, a panther on their lock screen and somebody oh. walked by and said oh yeah that and so they they grabbed a lot of uh a lot of large cat uh for toothless that makes so much sense mm-hmm um 
And even though I think the cinematography wasn't exceptional and the animation wasn't exceptional, I thought that the music was really able to punch up the emotional intensity for a lot of scenes. Yeah. Like, like the the flight through the rocks and particularly the wide shot of the sky, I I didn't think were all that great visually. But the music, uh, I thought. Go I'd, ahead. I'd quibble a little bit. I mean, I, I talked at length about the cinematography just a few moments ago, so you know how I feel about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, especially in comparison to previous DreamWorks productions. I mean, it's a big improvement. Madagascar and Over the Hedge, you know, they're primitive in comparison. There are some some good points in uh, Shrek and Kung Fu Panda, but I think that this one really elevates their lighting and their camera work. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually, specifically the, I don't know specifically which wide shot of the sky you're thinking of, but I'm kind of, I've kind of become a de facto cloud geek at work. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> because uh, at some point, I, I I did some really nice clouds, and so ever since then, they's like, okay, we got we need to do clouds for the shot. Give it to Brian, and I have never done it quite so well as I did it that first time, and it kills me. But it got to the point where they, uh, for Christmas one year, my boss gave me a book on clouds. <laughs> it was like kind of a gag gift. But I was looking at this, I was like, oh, wow, look, they got this, the, the scattering through the backside of the cloud just right. It's like, that looks beautiful. So I'm looking at it from a real technical standpoint. And I don't know, like, compositionally, it might not have been the most exciting thing. But for the cloud geek, it was awesome. Now when he watches <laughs> movies, Mike, he's like, that cumulonimbus looks like crap. <laughs> Sometimes. That is a movie cop. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Now that is a that that is a movie commentary I would oh. sit and listen to. Yep. <laughs> just listen to me talking about all the clouds in the movie. I mean, so just block out the foreground. We're gonna just look at the sky. I mean, that sounds like the best way to watch Transformers the movie from 1986. But I digress. <laughs> just but, just from 1986, I think that's a, probably the best way to watch all of the Transformers movies. Oh my yeah. gosh! We need to do. Let's talk about the clouds a movie a podcast that that would be so that's our next film club yeah movies we'll with the clouds in them. movies with clouds <laughs> our, our listenership goes to zero so fast start with up and then that's exactly the, uh, the one i was thinking <laughs> the curious case of benjamin button i know that seems like an unusual choice but it had a lot of really nice background replacements in it. and and selected scenes from the rocketeer i was gonna say yeah. and, then, and then stephen king's the mist and then we hit the <laughs> Ba-doom. Oh jeez, that was bad. <laughs> that was really uh, bad. I'm not sorry, but um, <laughs> yeah, I'm with Brian on this. Going back to the scenery and the score, I thought that the colors and the lighting that were used in the sky, in the clouds, to accent the sense of wonder that the characters, especially Astrid, were experiencing, worked well in unison. I mean, being amidst the clouds. And then above the clouds were sights that these characters had never seen before. Mm-hmm. And I thought that the music and the swelling of the score reflected that very well. I totally um, agree. Yeah, yeah the, there was the, one thing that bothered me, and that's they went from midday to evening, and like immediately, it's like, oh wow, that. we really wanted another another color to transition between those two shots. Yeah, it was kind of jarring, wasn't it? Yeah, like wow, night falls fast in Burke. <laughs> and it falls hard. I mean, it's going to hurt somebody. The, but the score is so right. It's so good that it makes a what some people would consider a standard movie scene exceptional. 
can't yeah. argue with that yeah and that's the thing for me the score really seemed to to hit the to make this hit the emotional beats for me and i was listening to some interviews and the animators found that they had a sense of excitement and danger and suspense watching some of these scenes come together and think about this like these people animated this frame by frame like they know how this ends they animated it but they found that they were really just right there with it once it all came together with the score yeah i've experienced that because sound sound plays a much bigger role than you think it does i mean even if you're you're not paying attention it's affecting you it's it's a a sense that's always on and it's passive and Mm -hmm. so you know, you've, you've looked at something a million times like, oh, yeah, I know this this image inside and out. You know, if the swing is going to flip this way and then the, the head's going to roll and like and then suddenly you hear it with the music and the sound is like, oh, wow, this is a totally different thing. It's like I've seen it before, but I didn't experience it. Interesting. Yeah, one thing that I have to say is that when they had uh, Hiccup and Astrid on their flight together, the music there gave me this this experience of a whole new world. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, when it, that scene started, I actually sang that song a little bit at the first time. Oh it's my like... god! <laughs> now imagine that song, but with uh, Jay Baruchel's voice instead of whoever voiced Aladdin. <laughs> I, I can show you the world. I, I got to say, okay, I didn't put this in the notes. But I did not like his voice acting. <laughs> that just, I was terrible. But I, I, yeah, I was listening to him like, wow, like, really? This is, the, you're the one who won. I get it. I, I get that you you're know, trying to portray. I, I disagree guy. because that's the voice of a scrawny dude who's very unsure about his place in the world. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't care much for him at first either until I saw him in a, uh, a recording session across from Gerard Butler and watching their chemistry because they don't do this very often in animated movies. Most of the time, everybody records their lines, you know, by themselves in a booth um, and they get the other characters, you know, in their headphones, but they don't actually actually be in a room with them. But in this case, these two guys were in the room together uh, and talking to each other. Very cool. And, uh, and seeing them together and, and hearing them laugh with one another, it's like, I got an appreciation for him as an actor, mm. um, especially because they, they played back uh, his bit where he's mimicking Gerard Butler's character, you know, mocking him. And then Butler turns around and starts doing lines as Hiccup. Oh, no. And it was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I had kind of the same reaction. Like, oh, man, this voice is just really obnoxious. But then as I got to know him a little bit more, I, I appreciated him more. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Was there anything else that we wanted to talk about in Filmcraft? Uh, actually, I did. There are a couple of things about the animation. Mike had mentioned that he didn't think the animation was noteworthy. And again, I, I disagree with a little bit. The rigging on Toothless's wings. I got a sense that he was actually interacting with the air, which is something that I miss in almost every CG dragon. As he mm-hmm. says, as though there's another kind of dragon that we've seen. But even I- like... I was to say, I missed that. Like it was one mm. of those things, like it's something that's easy to miss when it's done well. Yeah. But if it but was if, done poorly, I would have jumped. Well, on even it. if it's not done poorly, I mean, I think most people would say the state of the art in dragons has been game of Thrones. I mean, those dragons just looked fantastic, but their wings don't interact with the air. They're 
their pinions are stiff the entire time. They're, they're flapping their wings, but you don't get the sense that the wings are flapping against something. But toothlesses are like a kite. You know, they're, they're, they're flapping around, they're, they're vibrating in the air. You know, he, he cups the wings and you feel the air push back against them. And it's like, I, I just loved that, that whatever simulation that they were doing just made him feel like he was in that world. It was fantastic. I imagine they'd have to write their own software for that. Well, there's, there's cloth simulations that'll, that'll interact with uh, a volume, even just like off the shelf stuff that, that you can get right now. Um, we've got some of that at Muse. So I don't know that they necessarily had to design it, you know, from scratch, but their application of it, you know, you can have the software, but you still have to have somebody who's really, really good with it to get that level of reality to it. Now, all of Toothless is rigging like that, that little bit where he, uh, he slaps Hiccup with the, the little tendril on his head. Oh, yes. Uh, just like the ability to do that and the, the character design and the rigging that they put on it was just fantastic. You know, it makes sense that they describe the Night Fury as like the fastest and one of the deadliest dragons because out of all of them, he's the one that looks like he was designed in a wind tunnel. Mm-hmm. Right. <clears throat> well, he's the only, he, like Hiccup, gets a level of reality to him that the other, the other dragons don't because they don't need it. Yep. They're not central characters. They're not somebody that we need to connect to emotionally. So Hiccup is the one, or Hiccup's the human that looks the most human, and Toothless is the dragon that looks most like a dragon, although there aren't dragons, but you know what I mean. So yeah, that was that was what I had to say about animation. I could probably talk a little bit more about Astrid too, because she had some really good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> we will get to characters soon. Yeah. So we, don't, we don't want a four-hour podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then do we want to talk about some of the themes? So yeah, themes. Mm-hmm. Um, the major theme stated early on was Gobber telling Hiccup, stop trying to be something you're not. And then there's a parallel one that, that Hiccup brings up that the dragons aren't what we think they are. Yeah, the way Gobber expressed it was, it's played for laughs when he's you know telling Hiccup, you just need to stop being... All of that. Mm-hmm. You just pointed to all of me. Yes, all of that. It's played for last, but it's actually it's a very, very negative response yeah, I to Hiccup. Like, I didn't like that. I think particularly this is a movie for kids. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to say, well, don't try to be what you're trying to be. Yeah. Try to be something else. Yeah. And, and even later, he tells Hiccup after you know the dragon attack and Hiccup's gotten in trouble. He's trying to comfort him. It's like, look, he doesn't hate what you look like. It's what's on the inside that he can't stand. Yeah. Like, yeah. Wow. He just dug the hole even deeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Go I think ahead. it is an interesting parallel that you say that the dragons aren't what we think they are. Like there is a duality to that that I hadn't noticed. Mm-hmm. And I think there would be a lot more constructive if the message were, you know, find out about yourself and be true to it instead of, Stop trying to be something that you aren't. I, I I don't think that's a good message. I think that you're. I think that you're right. It's not a good message, and I think that what you're saying was the intended idea mm-hmm. is find what you find what you are and and do that because that's going to be a better contribution than you trying to be something that you're not for the sake of trying to be something you're not. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I I do have to say that I do respect that the film didn't try to make that subtext text yeah uh, i get i get really irritated at 
at kids' films when they're just overly didactic. Yeah. You'll have to be careful not to send to send the message that you wanted to send and not the negative version of it. Yeah, that's true. One theme that I did take away, a positive one that I took from the first time I viewed it was that for a good portion of this movie, Hiccup is the subject of peer pressure mm-hmm. from his dad, his mentor, from his well, they're not his friends, not at all. <laughs> but from his his peers, at least, and his entire village are telling him what he should be like, how he should act, and when he's not that way, he is diminished in their eyes and put down uh, mentally and verbally. And so it's, it's, it's hard for him the entire time. And what the movie shows is that, yes, he feels that constantly from all angles, yet he doesn't let that change him. Mm-hmm. And s- instead, he's the one who ends up changing all of them by holding true to himself. And even though the message does get lost with some of the ways that they try to express it, I think that core message still holds true throughout the entire movie. And that is one thing I did appreciate, because I think all kids, and frankly adults, we need to hear that and we need to see it. Yeah, that that kind of drew something up into my consciousness that I hadn't realized I was thinking about. He has a reputation in the town as being a useless klutz. But what we see of him, he's no more klutzy than any of the other kids. Mm. I mean, Astrid accepted. She's the only one who's actually competent. Yeah. But I mean, even looking at, at Stoic, when he's leaving the smithy after that awkward conversation, he's crashing into things. It's like Hiccup's no more clumsy than his own father. But Stoic is the hero, and Hiccup is the loser. I don't, don't he, know where I was going with he's that. He's the disappointing the son of the hero. There was a lot of expectation put on him, and because he didn't meet other people's <laughs> expectations, well, he, he... He used to have a conversation he, with Miles Morales, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it is kind of interesting that, that this whole village is, in more than one sense, getting it wrong. I mean, I, I think we should talk a little bit about the book slash training manual. <laughs> and first of all, like... Well, one, one thing, I, one, one, I apologize for one last thing I wanted to say oh, is sorry. about how he is viewed is that when it gets to the point where Stoic, he is, he's taken all his men to one last uh, mission to find the dragon's nest. And he tells people like, who wants to come with me on this crazy mission? No one raised their hands. He's like, all right, whoever stays behind can help look after Hiccup. Suddenly everybody wants to come. Yeah. And, and when they do get back and he's you know despondent, he's depressed because they didn't find it. It was a horrible mission. You can see whole chunks are missing out of everyone's ships. And everyone's so like, Stoic, we're so proud. We're so happy. That's right. It's a whole new day. Out with the old, in with the new. We'll be missing that, klutz. It doesn't dawn on Stoic that his son could have changed. He just looks at Gobber and is like, he's gone? Like, he either ran away or he's dead. That's the first place his mind went. Mm-hmm. Man, that's harsh. I'm going to yeah. have more to say about that dude later. <laughs> yeah, I think we all will. Yeah. But I think it's interesting that the entire village is getting it wrong. I mean, and nothing mm-hmm. is is more complete in that when they they have this revered central tome of all knowledge and wisdom of dragons. And everything in it is just, I shouldn't say everything in it, but all but the most perfunctory, broad scope descriptions is wrong. That's interesting or, because it's accurate and wrong at the same time. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I, I you know, I, I got to thinking about this book as, I mean, it's a cool story factor anyway. I mean, because the idea of having 
this revered, you know, well-kept tome of knowledge and wisdom. Like, who's compiling this anyway? It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but it, it does kind of gravitate like, oh, man, this is this is so delicious uh, to have, you know, a tome that is, that is ancient wisdom. And this wound up being a hang-up for my eldest child. And I just kind of looked at her. It's like, yeah, like the the Vikings didn't didn't commit works to writing pre-Christian. And it was only after Christianization they started writing. And I'm like, oh, hold on. Horns on helmets. <laughs> I get to pass. Vikings with Scottish accents. Weird weapons. Who knows what kind of location. And. And. <laughs> and dragons and it's a literacy that takes you out of the film i i cannot help you so i should mention that all of my kids are of course become big fans of the how to train your dragons movies and the subsequent netflix tv shows and in one like two episode a little special they actually explored who wrote the dragon manual oh no oh, yeah and it was played for comedy, but I believe that the the Viking's name was Professor Yabish. <laughs> and he lives alone now in a cave on the Isle of Doom. And according to this wiki I found, he is the author of Looking After Your Killer Whale and the book Sharks and Other Great Pets. Oh my gosh. Okay, this <laughs> and, makes so much sense. And he is currently writing a book about butterflies. <laughs> <laughs> he, he is he is he is stepping away to spend his remaining years with the rest of his three fingers. Yes, his remaining. <laughs> <laughs> spend some quality time with them. Now, actually, I was wondering about that because the uh, I think the Elder Futhark date from like second or third century. Mm -hmm. Or was she referring to specifically the codex that they didn't have, or writing in general? I think that I mean she was being a little bit broad. I, <laughs> I think it's because she had a particular interest in their in their mythology, uh -huh. and she knew their their mythology didn't come into didn't come into to codices until until after okay. Christianization, which. I wasn't going to parse that with her because I thought that there was a bigger laugh. But... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm just curious about it because I've actually studied uh, Nordic runes a little bit. And they're patterned after either Phoenician or very, very early, uh, not even Latin, but like Etruscan or some other Italic uh, language. So I was like, I'm pretty sure the runes were there before Scandinavians were Christianized. The book... Definitely not, because that's definitely a Christian thing. As discussed in our previous episode with Ken Monshine. <laughs> Did that actually make it into the episode? I don't remember. Oh my gosh, I don't remember. <laughs> I know we had that conversation with him. I'm pretty sure, yes, actually it did. Anyway, that's beside the point. <laughs> we should have him back on to talk about dragon books. Anyway, no. <laughs> World-renowned expert on time and medieval fencing or Renaissance fencing, and we're going to talk about dragons. Like Ken, if you had to sword fight a dragon, uh, what would you do? Because I'm coming up with nothing. <laughs> Fiore, you think? I oh, oh, I mean, I think that I would take the Nike self-defense and run as far <laughs> as I could. I don't think there's dragons in Greek mythology, are there? That's a fantastic question. <laughs> yeah, hydras. Guess they're kind of dragon-like. Are we off topic? I mean, are like it's hard to tell when we're on topic. Let's let's be real. Um, I think that we're about ready to talk about characters. I and believe so. Up. 
Yes, let's take a look at the characters. And of course, let's start off with our hero, Hiccup. Does anybody else want to talk about him? Because I feel like I've been talking a lot. He's portrayed as the antagonist. I'm sorry, he's not. He's not the antagonist. <laughs> um, he's the antagonist to everybody else in the village. Oh my god. He is. He I is viewed know. that way. Although he's the protagonist, Hiccup doesn't change very much. He grows to become self-confident and decisive throughout the film. And uh, his skills grow, and he makes discoveries about dragons. But at his core, he's the same well-meaning goof that we met at the beginning of the film, minus a foot. <laughs> Let's come back to the foot later, because I, I, I think there's some interesting things going on with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found that an interesting inversion, too, because usually a story, especially you know in the Hollywood formula, a movie is about a guy with a problem, and he changes over the course of the film and he comes out better but in this case hiccup is the same at the end as he is as he was at the beginning it's everybody else that he changes i, th- I found that a, a really fascinating you mentioned that earlier that it it subverted your your expectations yeah um, i found it extremely extremely satisfying that that's how it went like it's not that he's you know it's not that he stayed the same like he kind of became even more so <laughs> because yeah. like yeah it's always like, okay, you've always got these crazy ideas. And so it's like, okay, well, my crazy idea isn't enough. I'm going to just amp that up to, I don't know, not snag a dragon, but uh, rebuild it a, a, a prosthetic tail fin. And I'm going to find out about the existence of dragon nib. And I'm going to like, it just, he just keeps going down that rabbit hole and it's glorious. Yeah. And it's the positive version of that theme we said earlier. It's like, what Gobber says, don't try to be like everybody else or don't try to be something you're not. What he is, he's, he is enhancing himself, his own core personality. Well, yeah. they talk about how inquisitive he is and it's it's hinted at. Like his dad talks about, you know, he's just different. When I would take him fishing, he'd go looking for trolls. Oh, that bothered me so much because like he's what, 15 at this point? Something and like his that, dad yeah. hasn't had much to do with him for a while. So when he's talking about this fishing trip that he took him on, he was probably like 10 or something. He's a kid. Yeah. And if he wants to go looking for trolls as a kid instead of focusing on the serious task of fishing, because I can, I can only imagine it's a, a society on an island. His dad is probably trying to teach him this important life skill. But he's a kid. He's having fun. And you're getting down on him for that. It's like, ah. But he, he explains why he was doing so because he talked about his own dad. Mm-hmm. And you see the differences in the characters. He talked about how his dad, my dad told me to hit a rock with my head, and I did it. I didn't understand why, but I did it. And it taught me what a Viking can do. And so even though he's trying to explain to Gobber why his son is so different, we're actually getting a window into his own upbringing and what formed him and formed his opinions yeah. and his outlook on the world and how it's so drastically different than Hiccup's and why he can't relate to his son at all. Mm-hmm. I'm only thinking, wondering what could have happened if he had Hilda as a friend. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, turning into an excellent mashup. Hilda <laughs> and How to Train Your Dragon and uh, Spider-Verse. I'm, I'm down yeah. for this movie. <laughs> into the Dragon-Verse. Anyway. <laughs> I, I also kind of want to come back to this foot uh, because it's, <laughs> I think it was, a, no, really, I think it's a solid mm-hmm. story move too. Um, I mean, not only giving him a parallel between Hiccup and Toothless, uh, but also introducing a way of saying that 
that there are costs to to, to dangerous conflicts. Yeah, even and, if you win, it might hurt you. Yeah. yeah. And I like it so much better than the movie trope, which they kind of did a little bit of, of we're going to make you think he's dead. And yeah, it was softballed here, but I hate it because it is such <laughs> lazy, lazy, lazy writing. Because if the only way that you can get me to care about a character and to feel something about that character is to make me think that you killed them, then I'm sorry, you're an awful writer. Like if you have no other tools in your tool book, I'm sorry, you should just quit. <laughs> Go do something else. Cause that's like, there are so many other things you could do. Like having this moment of, oh my gosh, he lived, but oh my gosh, this is serious. I, I kind of wish they had left it out period because one, I didn't buy it at all because I knew this movie was gonna garner a sequel. Yeah. <laughs> and two, I remembered who you have to remember who this movie is aimed at. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, this movie isn't the 1986 Transformers. They're not going to kill the main character. I, I took guts and it was dumb. I mean, yes, they exactly. What they were doing. <laughs> but I mean, the, the kids movies do this all the time. Like I, I see, especially the poorly written ones with the main character is dead or stepped on or whatever and like heck even finding nemo did it and i i think that there are there are so many other other ways you can get people to care about a character um patrick rothfuss wrote a really super intense dramatic scene about threatening kvothe's library card <laughs> yeah I you mean, know mm -hmm. i don't think that that moment was intended to make the audience think that Hiccup had died. I think the point of it was stoic mm. because it gives him that moment of kneeling beside the dragon and saying, again, echoing something earlier in the show, I did this. Mm. This is my fault. This is why I need to change. Okay. Because without that Good. moment of, I think my son is dead, it doesn't drive the, the lesson that he's learned into his soul like it needed to be like needed to happen that makes a lot more sense especially because that that idea of oh my gosh he's dead is very feels very softballed from the from the audience perspective mm -hmm. um, because we've seen we we saw toothless dive into the the fireball we know you know the dragon has saved him we've seen this story a thousand times the audience is not fooled here so that wasn't obviously isn't the point i mean I guess if you're extremely naive, then maybe you think, <laughs> then maybe you think Hiccup hasn't survived. But I think most people are savvy enough about stories, even children, to know, oh, well, he's not really dead. But Stoic doesn't know that because he's yeah. not genre savvy. Or anything except hitting yeah. a rock with your head savvy. Right. <laughs> I do wonder uh, what exactly happened to his foot. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think I... Think I I have an idea, but it's kind of hard on two. So <laughs> yeah. he was, he was in a bar at most Eisley. He met an old man trying to find passage and well, the scene pretty much writes itself. Well, a lot happened and we fell into that fireball. My yeah. goodness. I assumed it was in the landing. Mm. I assumed the landing was rough. Same. And I don't think it maybe, maybe didn't sever it, but it's, there can be injuries that 
can cause a limb to need to be amputated. Yeah, I, I don't, yeah. don't want to get explicit with my imagination on, on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I did think uh, another nice point of it is that it enhances his similarity to Gobber. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know he's a little further down on the list, but do we want to just kind of go ahead and talk about Gobber now? Hiccup's actual dad? Yes, him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's... Because he is the person that Hiccup's actually being raised by. Yeah. He's the person he's learning skills from. He's the one who's defending him from bullies and is constantly advocating for him. And it's interesting how much more Hiccup has in common with Gobber than with his dad, Stoic. He's a craftsman. He's a metal worker and uh, has a very analytical mind. And you look at Gobber, you, you don't think analytical when you look at Gobber, but he's, you know, he's still a metal worker. He's, he shows himself to be someone who is capable because this is a guy who's missing a hand and missing a foot. And yet I think he uses like a grand total of three or four different arm prosthetics. I think there were more than that. I think there were something like eight. Yeah, well, I mean, see, Somebody he saw him put him on an axe, a hand, a fork. Uh, he, he has a, a tankard that, attached yeah, to tankard. one of them. <laughs> yes, the tank- <laughs> and and many more. And like uh, Gobber, uh, Hiccup is also prone to losing limbs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think Gobber's character design is kind of brilliant because he's goofy looking. He's he's broad shouldered and he's got the the. Uh, the Scottish accent, like all of them do. He's a bit sloppy looking. Yeah, but he's actually really sharp. I mean, when he's talking to, to Stoic and questioning the plan, you know, he's got enough uh, social agility to realize, now, I this isn't me saying this, but some of the men might be wondering what the plan is or even if there is a plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like Hiccup, he's smarter than he looks. Yeah, There's yeah, more, exactly. more to him than people think there is. With Stoic, you, you get what you get. For right. the most part, <laughs> it's all right there. And you foot he's, he's called Stoic the Vast for many reasons. <laughs> Although he really isn't very stoic. No. no. <laughs> the only time the name really comes up, though, is in the second movie, and where we meet a character who I, I won't, for the three people out there who maybe haven't seen it, uh, including me. you, Brian. <laughs> This one character does look at him and go, oh, stop being so stoic, stoic. <laughs> so let's just head to stoic. All right. Well, we're talking about like already. Idea. I think that the the primary conflict was framed as that father-son relationship, which is weird since he's absent for like a full 30 minutes of the movie. But, you know, that's that's kind of his his role in in Hiccup's life. He's mostly absent. Well, like he's absent well, for more than 30 minutes of the yeah. movie, let me tell you. Well, I think that he had even though he may be absent in a lot of Hiccup's life, I think it's you know, he may be absent from his life, but he's still there. He's still a presence because he's head of the clan mm-hmm. or the the tribe or whatever they are. And so I think for these plot reasons for Hiccup to really grow, his dad needed to be gone. Yeah. Yeah, otherwise he'd be completely just like mm-hmm. in that conversation that they tried to have. Hiccup's yeah. opinion, his ideas are completely suppressed by Stoic's force of personality. Yeah, and Hiccup realizes what's going on. He says more than once, "Dad, this this conversation is feeling very one sided." <laughs> and I, I I mentioned earlier the, the Stoic bothers me on a lot of levels because even when he's coming around to to Hiccup's point of view, he still only says, "Son, I'm proud of you." When he's sitting there on a freaking dragon about to save the day. I mean, his 
is yeah. only valuing his son for his accomplishments. Right. I mean, and, I think it's even worse than that. Uh, it's it's because his accomplishments are are seen as useful to him. Like mm -hmm. he was aware that his son had a way with dragons uh, quite a bit ago. Yeah. But that was not like the fact that he even learned things that could go into the tome, which could be useful in suppressing dragons. That's not even a that's not even a thing that's useful or uh, seen as valuable. It's only once it benefits him, and it to to me it looks like a Rudolph the red nosed reindeer trope. <laughs> they don't like him because he's different. Once that weirdness benefits them, then it transforms into acceptance, and that's a really shallow kind of acceptance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ouch. <laughs> So there's been a lot of times I've tried to put myself kind of in stoic shoes, think about why he is the way he is. And no one would ever accuse him for the vast majority of this movie or any part of this movie of being a good father. He said, I have no son. <laughs> yeah. Although he did, when he said, I have no son, when he walked out, you could tell that there was sorrow in his heart. There, you could that tell it was breaking his heart. His face killed me because he's... Yeah. He comes out and he realizes I just said something I don't mean and I've really I can't hurt take my that. son and I can't take that back and he takes another step forward. Mm -hmm. He didn't turn around and say I'm sorry I didn't mean that. He he committed to it. I just killed me. It got me thinking like this is supposed to be a man in power. I'm not saying this to excuse him, not in any way shape or form. Right. But it got me thinking there's ever been a president who was ever actually a good father while they were in office. And here he's he's not just leading his people, he's leading them in a fight to survive on a daily basis against a, a foe which comes at them every single night. And every night brings a new species of foe. And so much that someone had to write a book about it. Okay. And on top of it, you've got to raise a son as a single dad because to, to your knowledge, the dragons killed his mom, so there's another reason for the hate. That's uh, it's not, not just... given to us in this story, though. I thought it was. No, we don't. The only thing that ever that is ever said about Hiccup's mother is this is half of her breastplate, and then Hiccup getting disgusted about that because I, yeah, I kind of assumed that she was killed by dragons because everybody goes out to fight. Like yeah, that's men, the assumption, but they women, didn't bring yeah. it up. Thirteen year olds. <laughs> If people believe so, it's kind of a safe assumption. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because it's the number one leading cause of death on the island, you know, right after sepsis. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> so, um, and then you also get the the look into his own childhood, as I stated before, when he's talking right. about how, a little bit about how his dad raised him. So this this isn't a guy who was at all prepared to raise a son who was slightly different. And it's not that he's made mistakes, that he's continuing to make mistakes, but he doesn't know how to fix those mistakes because he also feels like he's too busy just yeah. trying to keep the village alive and together for another night to do anything about it. And to him, it'd be much more easy if his son would just get in line. I, I really think that this, that this is pretty much written like a Disney villain backstory. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, I, I do want to say... That neither one of you have seen this. Well, Mike, you've seen the second movie, right? Uh, no, I've just seen this film. 
Okay, there's three total. The second one, we get to see more of Stoic's character, a bit more, and I feel like it redeems him some. So I think that, that sounds I, like a good focus for a different story. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of story there to give him the character growth. Oh, there's, man. I'm sitting here wondering what the uh, the guys on that cinema therapy show would, would say about Stoic. It's like, narcissistic personality disorder? I, <laughs> I think that there's ripe opportunity to, 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 uh, to talk to them and say, hey, do this one. This yeah. guy's so messed up. Do this one. Get onto their Reddit and make the suggestion. So uh, let's move on, though. Who should we move on to next? Well, I think all we've got left in our list is Toothless and Astrid. And there's not a lot to say about Toothless. I have one thing to say about Toothless, which sums up his entire character. He is a giant, slightly less bloodthirsty flying cat. Prove me wrong. I cannot. I have... He breathes fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't eat Hiccup the second he meets him, so that's why he's slightly less bloodthirsty. Slightly less. <laughs> yes. His curiosity wins him over. Although I wanted to bring this up as far as the score earlier, but the scene I loved the most in this entire movie was that as Hiccup was trying to learn more and gain Toothless's trust, I'm very happy that they did not treat that as a lion with a thorn in his paw situation. Yeah. That all Hiccup has to do is heal him, help his wing, and suddenly they're besties. It is a very gradual progression of trust yeah. between and the that, two. That moment when he's holding out his hand and he's letting Toothless come to him, I think that's a yes. great moment and lesson. I mean, like you yeah. cannot force yourself on somebody. And he realized that because earlier in the scene, he tries to reach out to Toothless and, and Toothless growls. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, loses another limb. <laughs> but you see, he's he learns from him, and, and Toothless comes up and watches him draw. And Toothless decides, I'm going to give this a try, and grabs a log and starts doing the same thing. I love <laughs> yeah. that scene. Uh, besides being a beautiful scene, the music is so beautiful in this moment. It's it's very inquisitive sounding, and there's a sense of discovery in the notes as well. And as it swells, it reaches that moment that as Hiccup is picking away across this giant piece of sand art, uh, he realizes he's, for the first time, actually gotten really up close to Toothless. And he looks up at him, and he, like you said, Brian, reaches his hand up. He closes his eyes, puts the hand out there in blind trust. I'm reminded suddenly of this is such a stupid comparison. Did you ever see the movie Hitch with Will Smith? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's been like, a long time since I thought of that. You go 90 and she comes 10. That's exactly what was going on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it worked. It was beautiful. A great movie scene. Mm -hmm. And and it told us that Hiccup, or not Hiccup, I keep getting the for the longest time i didn't know anything about this movie and i assumed hiccup was the name of the dragon because right. ah, yeah uh, anyway so it tells us that toothless is more than just an animal that he's got curiosity and he's got creativity and he's got some intelligence to him and this isn't just he's a flying horse he's he's more than that and i i really appreciated that he really becomes a character of this movie mm -hmm. i mean more so than most of the humans <laughs> Okay, Astrid. I want to talk about Astrid. Let's talk about let's, Astrid. Let's get to Astrid. <laughs> the only one with an actual Viking name. Right. <laughs> oh, is that real? Yeah. I think so. 
Well, I didn't find any rough nuts or tough nuts in <laughs> 10th century Norse naming conventions. That was a mistake. No, I just did a you know quick look, and her name is uh, it's derived from Astridor, and it's once meaning God and beautiful, and uh, yeah, Scandinavian. I thought it was. Yeah, everyone else is named like Hiccup, Snotlout, Fishlegs. <laughs> Jack Black is Viking. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> which okay the jack black really looking viking jack black. You, you only hear say a couple of lines and usually when other people are talking he's voiced by david Tennant. no yeah i'm dead serious <laughs> i assumed that jack black was actually in in the film and they decided to just make him make jack black look like jack black as a gag <laughs> yeah I, I actually had to i saw his name in the credits uh after the first time like Really? Wait, which one was that? And so then the, the next time through, I was paying more attention. Okay, so, so Astrid. there's Astrid. So when we first meet her, you know, she gets this beautiful slow motion moment as Hiccup is staring at her longingly and lovingly, the subject of his unrequited love. That was such a great shot. I'm sorry. I mean, because it's like, <laughs> it's a borrowing from like action film tropes and and really cheesy woman as object of affection tropes while still making it so very tween and hysterical. <laughs> now, I thought it was interesting. I, I appreciated that we come off of this scene and he's, he's looking at her and you know, she's so beautiful, but his, his conversation with Gobber is, you, you know, I got to kill a dragon. I can even find a girlfriend. And he's, he mentions this a couple of times, but he's not saying specifically I could get with Astrid. It's like, yeah, she's she's ideal, but you know, maybe I maybe I'm not good enough for that. But I'll find a girlfriend. At that point, I think I'll just settle for anything. Yeah. Uh, so it wasn't like his goal is to win the girl, this specific girl. And I, I appreciated that. That and actually, he's kind of taken by surprise when she expresses an interest in him. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's kind of the way that the un like not feeling quite right with your own you know in your own skin and then mm -hmm. also there being somebody who you know they're out of your league i mean it i, I think it i think it fits for this character yeah. yeah and i think it's a lot more familiar i mean speaking for myself uh-huh no like no you can, you can speak for these two that's fine Let's, let's let's unpack our adolescence here because there was a lot of that in my adolescence yeah uh, yeah uh, hard pass for me bad. thank you yeah. <laughs> well and there's also okay since we're exploring some you know unhealthy teen dynamic in terms of character development um you know i think that it is something that's that is pretty real like in terms of wanting girlfriend or wanting romantic partner as 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 a as a means of feeling valued when this mm -hmm. character has so few means of validation. Mm. And I think it's, I think it's so right to put that line on his lips because it does ring true for, you know, some, some unhealthy bits in, in adolescent development. So no, I think that line was spot on. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of her character design, when we first see her in that slow motion scene, you, you get the feeling that this is like the epitome of like the Viking princess. And even though she's here helping with the fire brigade, you, you don't get a clue about what she's about or what her interests are. And they very well could have made her into like, you know, a, a not quite a damsel in distress, but 
someone who is prepared to sit on the sidelines while others do the fighting or the learning. But and instead, instead the Vikiest of the Vikings. She right. she is the one that goes into this ready to fight. She's the most capable warrior out of all of them. She's smart. She's strong. She's deadly. And she's going into this ready to be the winner of the competition to kill her first Viking. And and she, well, she takes this deadly serious. She she tells us this in many moments uh, throughout the movie. Wait, wait, uh, back up. Hold on. She's killing like dragons, not Vikings. Did I say killing Vikings? <laughs> yes, you did. Whoops. Like, like, hiccup, if you get in my way, I swear I will lock that. Well, if they were actual... A times if they, I thought she might. <laughs> I mean, well, if, if this were even the slightest more period correct, she'd have sliced his head off at the first practice. <laughs> yeah, she'd have pulled her axe out of his skull and killed that deadly natter. But anyway, but she tells us, I mean, we learned through her own words how serious this is to her. She tells Hiccup, are you, is this a joke to you? Our parents' war is about to become ours. Yeah, and um, that impressed me because it wasn't about her ego. Yeah. It was about... I recognize that this is an important thing that we have to do, and I'm going to do it as best I can. Not because I'm the best, but because it's important. Yeah. You get a feeling that if for some reason something were to happen to Hiccup, that she would have been next in line. She'd have been the leader that the people needed. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had more I was going to say, but everything with the killing the Vikings kind of derailed it. <laughs> <laughs> the killing Vikings was so quality. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, she's strong and capable. Uh, but she's smart. Yeah. When they're all discussing, like when, when Gobber gives them the dragon manual, which I was very pleased that when they open up the dragon book, that what it looks like in the movie is what you can go out and buy at the store. No kidding. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All the other, you know, students are saying, forget this. Why am I going to read it? I'm just going to kill stuff. And, uh, but she, Hiccup says, well, I guess we'll share it. And she goes, nope, read it. Mm -hmm. And off she goes. She's read ahead. And out of all of them, out of all of the characters, as hardcore as she is, as dedicated as she is to defending her people, she's also the one who seems most able and ready to begin to change her mind. Mm -hmm. That's true. I mean, it took her having to get stranded on a treetop for them to have that nice little chat. But, you know, <laughs> she got there. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, and that's something that that we do that when our most basic worldview is challenged, you know, we're going to run away from it. We're going to, we're going to push back against it. And it might take somebody, you know, grabbing you by the back of the head and saying, look at this before you understand and you can accept and start to change. But she definitely has some, some social and mental agility to be able to, to integrate this new information as quickly as she does. Mm -hmm. My absolute favorite scene in this movie is when the Vikings are sailing off to go find the nest and she's standing up there next to Hiccup on the cliff and they have that conversation and uh, she asks him, why didn't you kill him? What was in your head? Because she's trying to understand. Mm -hmm. she's, she's come to this place where she's, she's realized the dragons are different, but how did you realize it? When he challenges her, why do you want to know? She admits, because I want to remember what you say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because it's important to her to understand why did this paradigm shift happen? But she's also doing something else at the same time. And she's, she's leading him uh, away from his self-pity, away from his accepting that I'm just a screw-up, just like everybody said, because this is what he's thinking right now is, I have utterly failed. My best friend is going off and he's probably going to get killed. 
you know, and probably all of my friends and, and my parents, all of these people that I know are going to get destroyed by this dragon because they have no idea what they're sailing into. And it's all my fault. And she's leading him from that and saying, no, 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 you're the one person who can probably fix this. And she doesn't tell him that. She doesn't say, hey, you've got to do something about this. She leads him from that place of, I screwed up. Well, what led you here? And what are you going to do? And that question, what are you going to do? was just awesome. Because mm-hmm. there's no accusation to it. Mm-hmm. And just their, their interactions earlier, another, my second favorite was the bit where uh, he's challenging her worldview. And she's, she asks him, are you serious? And he doesn't give any attempts to justify. He doesn't make excuses. He just says, yes, one syllable. It's like, that is, that is what I wish I could be. Yeah. The, the look on her face when he says that, that's the most confident you see him in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. That one word changes her view of him completely. You see it on her face. Yeah. So I got to say, they do a lot of great work with her face. This is, I know this is not crucial to character development. It's more animation. But one yeah. thing that I love is actors that are so very present in the scene when they don't have dialogue. Mm-hmm. And there are so many times with the focus on Astrid. Uh, or no, it's not focus on Astrid. Usually the focus is on Hiccup. And then there is Astrid and her face is, says so many lines that the voice actress doesn't. And I think it's mm-hmm. brilliant what they've done with her. Especially in that scene where they've done their final lesson and the elder is being asked which one is the winner. And uh, right before that, Hiccup's like, well, I got to go. And she's like putting her axe right in his face. Where? Where are you going? What do you have to do? <laughs> she's, she's gritting her teeth and grinding them in anger. <laughs> the second before that, like the look of utter contempt she gives him just before that is brilliant. Mm-hmm. And of course, at this point, we have to say something about Son of a half troll rat eating money bucket. (laughs) (laughs) That's such delicious. (laughs) Oh, great. Now this episode's going to get an E for explicit. Yeah. (laughs) That was the foul language that that this. Munch buckets and dragon nip. (laughs) If this was Min Max, that would be the title. Well, uh, I know that Mike and I had seen it before. I enjoyed watching it again, as I've done many times. Mike, I bet you did as well. Brian, this was your first time viewing it. Overall, how did you enjoy it? I liked it a lot. I mean, I'm not going to put it up there as one of my favorite animated films, but I will will definitely... I didn't have any trouble watching it twice in one weekend. Right. Cool. And I will certainly watch it again. Not this weekend, but... Yeah, you've got number two to watch next. Right. (laughs) And then, you know, wait a couple of days and watch number three. Well, was there anything else that we wanted to say about how to train your dragon? I think I have said too much. (laughs) I disagree. You have said just the right amount, I think. Yeah, I've enjoyed hearing your viewpoint on it since this was your first time seeing it. Yeah. You brought a a fresh perspective, which was good to hear. Well, if that was it, then uh, let's close this thing out. Let's head to the zombie apocalypse plan of the week. Mike... Uh, does it involve living on a deserted island in the middle of nowhere, or does it involve dragons? If not, I'm going to be disappointed. 
really, I think that the only solution is living on a deserted island populated with dragons. I mean, all you need to do is <laughs> shift the taste away from mutton and more to whatever that is. And I think that you're that you're probably golden. Do you know what? Have them drop the have them drop the zombies as the food sacrifice before you take care of the big dragon, and and your problem is pretty much over. Oh, but yeah, what if we get one one problem to solve another? Exactly. And instead, if you know, cinema has taught me anything, we're going to get a giant zombie dragon. Sure, this will be great. <laughs> I really Which, funny enough, is actually the plot of How to Train Your Dragon Two. Yeah. I, I, I Hashtag spoilers. We. Oh, I was disappointed because I was going to say we need to do the zombie dragon movie, but I guess if they did, <laughs> then off we go. I'm just waiting for Brian. He'll be watching it in a few days. Going. Wait, James lied. There's no zombie dragons. <laughs> I mean, I'm Where's writing the Dracovich. <laughs> the Dracovich. <laughs> oh my god! Nice. I suddenly remembered another cultural malapropism: bagpipes. There were bagpipes in this movie. Really? Yes. I missed them. No, I didn't. I remember that I had that in my other notes. <laughs> Here's why. Everyone sounds Scottish and there are bagpipes. That's before they settled in Burke. The Vikings had a few raiding parties at Scotland. Didn't work out great because they're Scottish. And they <laughs> grabbed as much as they could and left. But unfortunately, the damage was done. And they went to Scotland have... for bagpipes and accents. That's right. It's all they could come away with. <laughs> they looted all of the bagpipes, which is why they had to use Irish pipes in Braveheart. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that that will wrap it up for us this episode. I want to thank all of you for listening in. Uh, make sure you check us out online at geekatarms.com, at facebook.com slash geekatarms. And Mike, what is our Twitter? We are at ArmsGeek on Twitter. Uh, check us out on iTunes and uh, whatever streaming service or podcast service is available on uh, Samsung phones these days. And uh, leave us a review if you would. We would really appreciate it. And finally, from Brian, Mike, and James, be safe, be blessed, and be geeky. Thanks for listening to Geek at Arms. Music for this podcast was provided by Incompetech.com. For more, check us out at Facebook.com forward slash Geek at Arms. Give us a like and maybe even subscribe to us on iTunes. That would be awesome. That was a mistake. I just lost something. I'm still here. Whoa. I can hear myself. Yeah, hang on a sec. My sound system suddenly decided to switch to like external speakers. Okay. Can you hear me? Yes. Can Mike hear me? I can hear you. Okay. And I can hear both of you. Good. That was weird. This episode is going to be named episode 42. So long and thanks for all the glitch. Ooh. <laughs> wow nice. i'm impressed and, like, and i know I'm a little horrified i mean the thing is like i know you're quick-witted and still <laughs>